Good morning and welcome to all our guests, visitors, and radio listeners today. The flowers on the altar today are in honor of Nancy Bumbar. Nancy didn't want to make a big fuss about this, but she spent 57 years teaching Sunday school here. Uh, I just don't think you do 57 years and uh, not allow us to honor you, so thank you for all your time and dedication you've done for the children of this church. Thank you. Today is the first day of Sunday school, and we'll be honoring our teachers and presenting our first grade students with their new Bibles. And we're also happy to have Doug and Kathy McLean with us this morning. They are back from Germany until the end of the year, and they're going to share with us for a few minutes during this church service, and then they'll have a full presentation over in the ministry center during the Sunday school hour. There's going to be cookies and coffee there as well. Pastor Joel's Sunday school class on the book of Revelation starts next Sunday, September 22nd. And now I'd like to invite Pastor Joel up to talk about the Harvest Picnic. If you guys have your bulletins, you'll notice there is near the back uh, uh, a picture, graphic there, uh, inviting all of us, all of us to join together on October 6th for a Harvest Picnic at the New Knoxville Park. Um, this is going to be from noon to two, uh, so not immediately after church or the Sunday school hour, because we hope that you get time to go home, maybe put in more, get in more comfortable clothes and bring a dish to share. Uh, we're going to have lunch together. Uh, the church is going to provide the hamburgers and hot dogs and all the, the fixings for that. Uh, but we're hoping that you will bring a side or dessert to share, uh, and we're going to have a meal together. In addition to that, there's going to be a lot of fun uh, things going on. There's going to be uh, cornhole and nine square. We got hay rides planned, as well as some other fun activities like a pie baking contest and pumpkin bowling. Um, you'll notice I didn't realize, Connie, you put pie the pastor first. I didn't realize that that was going to be the highlight of the activity there. But there may be an opportunity there for you to uh, uh, put a pie in my face, maybe. So if, if nothing else, you can come for that, and that'll be a fun opportunity there. Um, but we're also looking for some help. So please mark your calendars. We hope you can all join us for that. Invite your friends, invite your neighbors. It's, we're hoping to just have a good time at the park that day. Uh, but we're looking for some help to, to plan and organize that. So if you're interested in, in helping out with any of the following things, please let Connie or myself know. Um, and so we can begin to plan for this uh, coming up here next month. Uh, we're looking for someone to help organize some games, organize and plan some, some games for that day. Uh, we're looking for some people to help grill the hot dogs and hamburgers, uh, uh, as well as some people to help uh, set up um, uh, before everybody arrives. And so uh, if you're able to um, help out in any of those ways, uh, please let us know in the church office, and we'll plan on, on making that a special day. But if nothing else, uh, we hope you all are able to join us and, and celebrate that day together. While I'm up here and have your attention, I also want to point out the, the table that's back here by the info center, just over here in this direction. Uh, that has the clipboards for the sign-up sheets for the Connected Bible Study that we announced last week. Uh, just a reminder, they all will begin actually that same week as the Harvest Picnic, the week of October 6th. And, uh, and it's, we're hoping to get uh, all of you, as many people as, as possible, connected to one of those groups. There's groups that meet on Sunday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday morning. Um, so hopefully there's an option there that works in your schedule. And we're all going to be studying the same thing at the same time, talking about what it means to be connected in Christ, what it means to be part of a church body. So we're hoping you, uh, I, I encourage you to check out those tables. If you have any questions about the study, you can talk to me. Uh, and that will be also be beginning uh, in October. Thank you. All right, please rise and join me in the call to worship from Psalm 63. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, and who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord justice for all the rest. He's made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will 
as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now let us sing Christ alone. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease, my calm. My all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of Sunday school students and teachers and helpers come forward at this time. We're going to do Promotion Sunday a little bit different this year. So um, we're not not just the first graders, but everyone who's in Sunday school and all the teachers and helpers, if you can come forward, uh, we want to recognize all of you and pray for all of you this morning as well. two phases here. We do want to recognize um, and honor our first graders. It's a special moment for them. As a church, we we traditionally uh, give them their very own Bibles as they enter into first grade. Um, And so we want to recognize a few of our Sunday school students. Uh, So I'm going to read them off one at a time, and and Pastor Tori is going to have Bibles here. So if I read your name, uh, just kind of step forward here with Pastor Tori, and she's going to give you your Bible. So first we have Connor Green. Caitlin Hoagie, Kendon Milhouse, Olivia Opperman, Liam Spring, and Evan Werwell. We're short a few first graders, but that's all right. 
Pastor Tori is going to talk for a moment about how, why this is such an important moment for you guys as first graders receiving your Bibles. All right, first graders, this is your very first Bible for some of you. So, who can tell me what the Bible is helpful for? What do we read the Bible for? To learn about Jesus. Yes. So is the Bible like other library books? No, why not? You don't have to give it back. And guess what? You can write in it. So this is my first Bible that I've ever received, okay? If you look through my Bible, you can see highlights. I got stuff taped in there. All of these different markings of verses that I love. And guess what? You can do that in your Bible, too. Because every time that you open the, the Word of God, God speaks to you. And he speaks through the words on the pages, the, the things you read, all of that. And guess what? Reading your Bible helps you to know him more, just like JoJo said. Helps you to know Jesus more, know his love for you, know what God's done for you, all of those things. Now, the Bible can be a little hard to understand, especially when you're young. So, I want to challenge you tonight. When you go home, since you have this brand new Bible, don't just put it on a shelf and walk away. Sit down with your mom or dad and read a chapter. Read something in the New Testament, though. So I would recommend maybe starting in the book of Matthew. It's in the, sort of towards the center of your Bible a little bit. Um, but your parents can help you find that. And there's also a verse on the front cover of your Bible that we put in um, in the little note that Pastor Joel and I wrote for you. And we want to see if you can find that verse. It's in Ephesians, okay? So tonight, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? <laughs> are you going to go home and read your Bible with your mom or dad? There you go. Good job. <laughs> well, let's take a moment and pray for our, our first graders, and then we'll uh, have a moment to recognize everyone else up here as well. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for these first graders. I thank you that they have received your word, uh, Lord, in, in, a, in a real way um, through Sunday school and through, uh, through the teaching of this church and now in a, in a physical way through this new Bible of theirs. I pray that they would be able to know your word and obey it. I do pray, Lord, that they be able to read it together as a family, that as a family they would grow closer to you and learn what it means to, to love and serve you, our Lord and Savior. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Oh, Jojo, we're not done with you yet. At this point, we want to recognize all of the people that are up here, of course. Uh, as part of Promotion Sunday, this is the first official day of Sunday school for the year, which means it's not just a special day for the first graders. It's a special day for all of us that are up here. Um, and so we want to take a moment and just we wanted you to visualize and see. I know not everybody was able to make it up here, but here's our Sunday school department. We have our students that they're a part of this faithful uh, ministry week in, week out. And of course, we have the teachers and helpers who make this possible. The reason we wanted to call all of you up here is to be able to just, one, say thank you. Thank you for your commitment. Thank you for your time that you put into this. Um, Sunday school is such an important ministry. Uh, it's, these children are not just about the future of the church. This is the, the present of the church. They are part of this church and Sunday school is an important part of raising them up in the Lord and, and teaching them to know what it means to, to love him and serve him with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. So what you as teachers and helpers do each and every week is such an important part of the ministry of this church as a whole. And so one, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for the time and effort that you all put into it uh, because, because these kids would be missing out if it weren't for you. They'd be missing out on, on that instruction and that learning and that joy that comes with knowing the Lord. So thank you for the time and effort that you put into it. Um, and also we want to recognize the children and, and you as families, as parents and grandparents, bringing your kids week in and week out to Sunday school. Do you guys have fun in Sunday school? Do you enjoy it? Of course. Of course. Do you guys learn a lot about Jesus? Yeah. Do you sing some fun songs? That's right. That's right. We, we do this. We, we want to do this for you so that you can know what it is to learn, uh, to, to love and serve the Lord. And so uh, as we officially start Sunday school as a church here this week, we want to take a moment and, and pray for these students and pray for these teachers. That would be a blessing. The year would be a blessing for them. Um, and especially the Lord would equip them uh, to, to be, equip the teachers and the helpers uh, 
to teach these students and, and just make a powerful and important impact in their lives so that they, along with, uh, along with what they learn in the home, can grow to, to love and serve the Lord. So um, at this time, actually, because uh, it would be pretty much a, a practical impossibility for all of you to come forward and, and surround these people and pray for them, uh, Pastor Tori is going to offer a prayer for, for them here in just a moment. Um, and, uh, and I want to encourage you to, if you're willing to just extend a hand as just a sign, a symbol of, of praying for this group of people that are up here. And Pastor Troy, would you mind praying for them? Father God, we thank you so much for another year, Lord. We thank you for another year of Sunday school, um, another year with these students, Lord, and with these teachers. And God, we know that you are going to move in huge ways this year, Lord. And we expect that because when we are gathered in your name, you are there, Lord. God, we thank you for every person standing up here, Lord. We thank you for those who couldn't make it as well and the impact that these teachers have on these students, Lord. We are so thankful for them and thankful that they faithfully teach your word to your students every single week, Lord. God, we ask that you would give these students eyes to hear and and eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord. the things that you want them to know week in and week out. We ask that you would grow these kids' faith, deepen their knowledge of you, and remind them over and over again of how much you love them. Lord, we just give this year to you. We give these teachers to you, these students, these parents, Lord, and we just ask that you would do a mighty work in their hearts this year during Sunday school. Amen. All right, before you guys all sit down, there are a couple of practical things I want to just remind you all of. One, um, as we pray for them today, I want to encourage us as a church to continue to pray for them throughout the Sunday school year. Pray for the teachers, pray for the students, um, and, and just keep that as a constant reminder in front of you to, to be lifting up that ministry of our church. Also, as today is the first day of Sunday school, I want to just remind you that uh, where those Sunday school rooms are, and if you have a student that is moving from one grade level to another, uh, if you're able, to remember to bring them to their new class this morning. If you forget where that is, uh, feel free to bring them to the old class, and then they will point you in the right direction. But just as a reminder, three- and four-year-olds, the nursery department is in the Sunday school room back in this direction. Uh, the kindergarten department, which is five-year-olds through kindergarten, is in the Sunday school room right back here. Uh, the primary department, which is first through third grade, is in upstairs in the Sunday school room uh, back in this direction. And then the junior department, which is fourth through sixth grade, is in the Sunday school room upstairs uh, in that direction. So just a reminder for all of you, um, enjoy your Sunday school classes today. As they go back and find their seats, I want to encourage all of us to stand and let's sing together uh, number 204, Rock of Ages. Everybody.
This time, it's my joy to invite forward Doug and Kathy McLean. Uh, many of you are, many of you know Doug and Kathy. Uh, they have connections right here uh, in our hometown of New Knoxville. Uh, Kathy served as a German teacher in the in New Knoxville schools for I don't know how many years, but some years. Uh, and so many of you uh, know them through that. Uh, but they're currently serving as missionaries in Germany, and so they're here to share a little bit about what they're doing, give us an update. Uh, I do want to encourage you before before they they talk. We are going to have the, a time after the service during the Sunday school hour. Uh, I really want to encourage you to, to come over and check that out. They have plenty of information. They're going to have pictures and be able to talk in more detail about exactly what's going on and some pretty amazing stories to share as well. So uh, I want to encourage you to stick around for that as well. But for now, thank you for being here. Moisha. Guten Morgen. We just said good morning in both high German and in our dialect of German spoken in Pirmasens. Yeah, we, and as he said, we're Doug and Kathy McLean. We serve with ABWE missions in Germany. And uh, we just want to thank you for your partnership with us in that ministry. Um, without our partners, we couldn't be there. And uh, so you're just as much a part of that ministry as we are. And uh, we want to thank you for that. Um, we've been there four years. We arrived October 5th, uh, 2015. And pretty near the beginning, we started meeting our neighbors. We are purposeful in what we do. And God happened to help us with this particular purpose. We needed somebody to help carry our washing machine upstairs because Doug and I could, I could not do it. I was not very much help. A man happened to walk down the street, and I just said, could you help us? And willingly he helped us, and he became the key person for us to meet our neighborhood. We've been going to birthday parties in the neighborhood to meet our neighbors and block parties as well that we have every summer and Christmas. Yeah, we're, we're very intentional in trying to meet people. And, and with the German people, it takes time to, to, to get their respect to where you can then share with them. You know, it's, it's a long time. Well... Also, uh, about that time when we first got there, uh, there's a building uh, project going on in Kuzel, and which is 40, 45 minutes away from, from Pirmasens, which is where we serve. And um, I began uh, helping with that twice a week right from the beginning, and we are nearing the completion of that project. I also began attending the ladies' Bible study from the Pirmasens Church in order to encourage these ladies to come along with me. And that meets on Thursday mornings. And, uh, of course, early on, uh, since she was a German teacher and I wasn't, I had to start taking German classes. And uh, it, I was there for a few years, and I'm still a work in progress. Just because I'm <laughs> done with classes doesn't mean I'm good at German yet. And that's because of this dialect problem. Oh. Um, likewise, the same time that we arrived in Germany, there was a boatload, many boatloads, of refugees hitting uh, Europe at that time. And these people were coming into Germany, and they could not speak the German language. Although we went there, and I thought, oh, I'll just kind of turn things, go backwards, and teach English to Germans who want to improve their English. God had a different plan, and I'm now teaching German to refugees from Iran and Syria and Afghanistan and Eritrea and other parts of the world. Likewise, we began about six months after we arrived, a children's ministry in our home church in Pirmasens. This is kind of patterned after what you guys do at Lent with the children. We meet every Monday after school when church is in, or when school is in session with uh, grade school kids. <clears throat> and um, after a couple years, um, I also began uh, to be a part of the, the leadership team there as we looked at things, and we'll, we'll tell you more about that in a moment. Oh, and, yeah, that's right, next one, mine too. And um, we also last year began uh, what we call the Internationalis Cafe. It's an international thing in our church. We, we redecorated a room, and it's got international flavor. And we're trying to bring the refugees in so that we can minister them, play games, uh, have coffee, pop, tea, whatever, and a little bit of what they call Kuchen, which is German um, cake, which is a lot heavier than American cake. Yeah. But, oh, uh, and if you would pray with us, what we're doing is we're praying for five key refugees uh, to, to come and be a part of this so that they can help us reach out to the rest of the refugee community. Recently, I also began discipleship with 
a couple of people in our area. One is a young girl who's about to become a teenager. And if there's one thing I noticed in my teaching is that teenagers often think their parents are pretty stupid. But if they find somebody, an adult in their life that they trust, they will confide in them. And you can be <coughs> tell them the same thing parents tell them. And they think, wow, that's really profound. That's really good. And they'll listen to what you say, but your parents are still stupid. So this teenage girl and I, we disciple every uh, Thursday. I get together with her. And recently God led us to a Japanese and American couple. The ladies from Japan, she married an American serviceman. And she is hungry for the gospel. And so I meet with her on Fridays, and we do that even by telephone while I'm here. Yeah. yeah. Um, our Pyramiston's church has been, has, we've seen some changes there. When we arrived, the church was averaging 30 to 35 people per Sunday. And now, four years late, almost four years later, we're averaging 40 to 50 every Sunday. So that's almost a 50% increase. And the age of the congregation is changing. <clears throat> we arrived and everybody was 50 years old or really older than that. There were two teenagers and two people in their 20s. Otherwise, all were 60s and older. And now we have a pretty good mix from cradle to 80s, pretty well all across the board. So we're real happy with that. In fact, the youngest is seven months old right now. So, And we also have... Because of that, we actually have a children's ministry that we didn't have before. And right. We can get, we usually have, oh, five or six. Sometimes we can get up to 14. Yeah, which is vital to the growth of a church, right? Um, and then the other thing is that when we arrived, the leadership of the church was a little bit close to any kind of change, a little stagnant. Yeah. Well, and now we have... Uh, we went from four to two. Now we have five leaders, and the leaders are very open to God's leading. We're doing things that they would have never dreamed of. We've begun a few new ministries. Yeah. Uh, this is just in the last year and a half. Um, we've, uh, Even though the church is pretty close and always has been, we're building relationships where we have activities, where we're even bonding more. And um, we also have... Um, we're, in fact, they're finishing a project that's going to be a, a multi-use room that used to be an old dungeon kind of a garage. So we're, we're changing the church around to really meet the needs of ministries as well. So it's an exciting time in Pyramusins. So we thank you for your time, and we hope to see a lot of you after school or after school. After yeah, school. after school. Spoken like a teacher. <laughs> after church in the Sunday school hour. Thank you. Everyone's Danke. got attention, yeah. Hey, don't, don't run away from me. I want to pray for you guys. Yeah. Um, and I want to encourage you as we pray for them today, just as I asked you with the Sunday school program, keep them in your prayers and all of our missionaries. Um, of course, you know, they need financial support as all missionaries do. Um, and, and I think you would agree. And I know many others said just as important, if not more important than that financial support is the prayer support and knowing that, that they, they are being prayed for consistently by, by their churches, by their friends back home, uh, means the world to you guys. And so we want to do that for you now. And I want to encourage us as a church to continue to pray for them, uh, as your home over the next few months and then heading back to Germany in the new year. So, uh, let's pray for them now, as well as the other concerns that we have before us today. Lord God, I thank you so much for Doug and Kathy. Thank you for their friendship and uh, their, the calling that you've placed on their lives and, Lord, their faithfulness to respond to that. I pray now that you would bless them, Lord, provide for them financially, materially, uh, for the work that they're doing in Pyrmesons. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, bless and honor the, their faithfulness towards you. I pray, Lord, for a, a healthy and, and strong and fruitful ministry for them and their church and all of these other uh, outreach opportunities that they have. Um, I thank you for opening doors to them, Lord, that um, they did not see coming. Uh, but, Lord, uh, in, in your sovereignty, in your, um, in your control, Lord, you made these things happen. And, and I pray, Lord, now that, that you would see this ministry bear fruit. Um, I pray, Lord, for them as individuals. I pray for them as a couple that you would strengthen their faith and strengthen their uh, relationship as they learn to rely on you and each other in this, in this place that you've, you've called them to. And in all things, Lord, may you be glorified in and through their lives. Lord, we also have many other concerns that are before us today. Lord, you know what they are. Um, Lord, each Sunday we stand here and we acknowledge, Lord, our need of you. And we acknowledge, Lord, that 
that we carry burdens into this place that are represented in our, in our concerns list as well as, Lord, things that we just carry in our hearts. Lord, Sunday in, Sunday out, we, we lift these things up to you. And again, we do it because of our trust in you and that your will is what's best for us. And so once again, we stand here and, and pray, Lord, for your will to be done for healing where it's needed, for provision, Lord, in other times, and, and, and Lord, in, in all things, for your peace and your presence to be made known and experienced. We pray all these things in the name of Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks, Doug and Kathy. This time I will invite those uh, forward who are helping with the offering this morning.
Please remain standing as we read from 1 John, book 1, verse 5, through book 2, verse 2. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us all from sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Danielle. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Lord God, we come to you today and humbly ask for your blessing on our time together as we open up your word, um, as we continue to talk about what it means to be called into community uh, with you and with each other. I pray that you would uh, uh, not only bless the reading of your word, but help us to respond rightly to it, Lord. Help us to live uh, in response to the truth that you make known to us through your word. We pray this now in Christ's name. Amen. When I was in college, uh, I took several physics classes, and one of the things that always amazed me about physics, the reason I, I loved it so much was because one of the things was, was light, and just, uh, just how, for lack of a better term, really cool it is. Um, and if you just think about the, uh, what light is and, and how it can be, um, and what you can learn about it, it's, it's pretty amazing, and it's amazing that God is described as light in this passage. Light is the fastest thing in the universe, in known existence. It can travel 186,000 miles in a second. In fact, it takes light eight minutes to get from the sun to earth. So if the sun were to just be snuffed out in a moment, we wouldn't know about it for another eight minutes because it would take that long for the light to travel from its source to here. And, and light is really, from, from the physical standpoint, light is the source of of, or excuse me, the sun and the light that comes from it is the source of all life on this earth. It's light that gives uh, the earth its, its, its energy and its power to, to produce life uh, from a physical standpoint. If the earth were any closer to the sun, it would be too hot and we wouldn't survive. If the earth was any further away from the sun, it would be too cold and none of us would survive. We're at that perfect placement and, and the light of the sun is able to reach us and provide the energy that life needs to sustain itself. And probably the coolest thing of all, I think, is the fact that, that the smallest amount of light can overcome any darkness that we see. A room can be pitch black and what seems to be full of complete and utter darkness, and a single candle can light up that room. I, I'm, I'm just old enough to remember concerts where people would, would hold up lighters and wave them around. Right now it's just cell phones. But, but that light, that single light all coming together would light up that whole stadium or that whole venue that you were in. Light has an amazing ability, even the smallest amount of it, to overcome any darkness that, is placed, that it is placed into. Light is essential for life. And John here says in the opening verses of his book, that God is light. And in a way, he, of course, he is the source of light. But I think what John is trying to get to and help us understand is, is God is, is perfect and absolute in his purity and his holiness. It says in, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. In other words, there's, there's no spot, there's no blemish, there's no stain on God's character. And this passage is going to be, and, and this book as a whole, as we talked about last week, is talk, we're looking at what it means to be in fellowship with God and with each other. And as John begins to unpack what that means for us here in these verses, he reminds us, and he starts not with us and what we need to do to be in fellowship with God. He starts here with God and his character. And I think that's really important for us to remember because our fellowship with God or our relationship with him isn't based in what we can do for ourselves. It's not based in who we are as a person. It's based completely and totally in who God is and his character and ultimately what he's done for us in Christ. And so 
uh, John here is going to walk us through, through three um, important facets of our fellowship with God. Uh, talking about walking in the light. In other words, being, living in obedience to God and his word. He's going to talk about the importance of confession and forgiveness in, in that relationship. And then we're going to close with looking at how forgiveness is made possible. That through Christ, he is our atoning sacrifice for our sins. He is the one who has made this possible for us. And while... And, and, and before all of that, he, he begins at the foundation of who God is, and, and, and the, our fellowship with him is based completely and totally in his character. Light uh, is, is actually a common metaphor we see in Scripture for, for God and his presence in our lives. In fact, if you were to flip back once again to the Gospel of John, which is also written by the same apostle in those opening verses, we see uh, Jesus there described as the light of the world. After talking about how in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, uh, he goes on to say in verse 4, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then in verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. See, Jesus is the light of the world. He's come to make God's character and his personality known to us in order to bring us into a relationship with him. Again, it begins with Jesus. It begins with what God has done for us through him. And it's all done so that we can know him and be brought into that relationship with him. I mentioned already this, it says back here in 1 John that in him was light and, and there was no darkness at all. Right? No, no blemish, no stain on God's character. He is perfectly loving, perfectly kind, perfectly good all the time. And that was actually a radical idea in John's day because the world was full of idols and so-called gods who were just as petty and just as sinful as the humans who worshipped them. They would have bitter feuds with each other and with humankind. They would have all these stories about their exploits, and some of them were not the best, kind of, kind of the same plots you'd find in soap operas right? today. Those were the gods that people worshipped during that time. And so for John to stand up and say, this God that we worship, the one true God, is perfect and absolutely pure and absolutely holy, was actually kind of a radical idea. See, God's not like us. We have fallen into sin, and we, we, are, we are tainted by sin and as part of our human nature. We can't help but rebel and sin against God. We'll talk about that more here in just a moment. But God is perfect. He's not like us. He is pure and holy and blameless. And that is the foundation of our relationship with him. See, religion says that religion is all about man's attempt to reach God, to appease God, But Christianity is different. The gospel is all about what God has done for us to reach down and bring us to him, to draw us to himself. The light came into the world and darkness could not overcome it. And so what does it mean then to walk in the light, as it says here in verses 6 and 7? The walk is a, a common metaphor in scripture to describe our behavior, our way of life, how we carry ourselves And so to walk in the light is to walk according to the truth of God, according to his character and his will. And this is a, it's a present tense. It's meant to be an ongoing action. It's not, I did something once and now I'm I'm set for life. It's, It's meant to be an ongoing, continuous relationship that we continue to walk in the light with the Lord. And as he says here, to say that he talks about the truth, it's about obedience. It's about being like Jesus. You see, the truth isn't just something that we believe, it's, it's the way that we live our lives. Think about eating healthy, right? We all know that eating our vegetables is good for us, but it doesn't do us any good to know that fact if we don't follow through with it, right? If we don't actually eat healthy, uh, all that knowledge in the world about what it means to eat healthy isn't, isn't going to do us any good. We actually have to put that knowledge into practice. And that's what John is talking about here. That's what it means for the truth to be in us, is not only to believe the right things, but then to live accordingly, to live in response to the truth that we know. And so to say that the truth is not in them is, is not to say that they don't understand the gospel or have not heard the gospel. They may be 
that may be part of it, but the bigger issue that John is addressing here is, is those who claim to know the gospel yet live as if they don't, yet live in a, in a habitual and continual state of sin and so deceive themselves by doing so. Now, it's important for us to know here, it's, it's possible and it will happen for Christians to sin, Right? Right? And, and it's possible for Christians to even live in, in maybe a, a season or a habitual or a, a season, a period of, of disobedience and still be saved. Right? If God saved us, if it's all about Him, then, then we can't necessarily disqualify ourselves by, by what we do. But yet, what is important is to when that sin comes up, when we do go through periods of disobedience, to return to the Lord to confess our sins and repent and return to him. And that's what John encourages us here in the next few verses. What does it mean to be to walk in the light? Well, it means that we have fellowship with each other. Uh, our fellowship with each other is evidence of our fellowship with God. And it means that he's going to cleanse us from our sin. And to be completely honest, that is a daily need, isn't it? The daily need for God to, to experience and receive God's forgiveness. None of us are perfect, and, and we need God's forgiveness. We need His grace moment to moment, hour to hour, day to day. And you see, it's only through the blood of Jesus, it's only because of what He's done for us that we can be saved. Hebrews 10.4 says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and of goats to take away sins. But in Christ, His blood can purify us from all unrighteousness. And so that's why John then goes to talk about the importance of confession and forgiveness, right? The reality of this world is that all are, all of us are affected by sin and all sin is equally wrong in the sight of God. We as, as human beings have a natural bent towards sin. We have a sinful nature that is, that wells up within us. David in his famous prayer of, of confession in Psalm 51 verse five, he says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. But we don't like to talk about sin, do we? It's, we've kind of removed that from our vocabulary. Uh, but the problem with not talking about sin by avoiding that conversation is that we can't ever then talk about forgiveness and grace. If we don't acknowledge the reality of sin in our lives, then we can't really appreciate and understand what God's forgiveness and grace is all about. And so we have two options. We can either cover up our sin, try to cover it up ourselves, or we can confess it to the Lord. We covered up and we claim to not have sin. It's, really, it's, it's a self-deception, isn't it? We're just trying to fool ourselves because we certainly aren't fooling God. We create excuses for our sin. And, and when we do so, it, we, we, we try to justify it before ourselves and before other people. But that's not going to do us any good. If we try to cover it up, then we can't really experience God's grace and forgiveness. And so instead of covering it up, God wants us to confess it. Confession should be an, our natural and, and regular response to sin in our lives. And confession is simply agreeing with God on the reality and the guilt of the sin in our lives. It's acknowledging the truth that, that we are sinners in need of a Savior and that He is the Savior that we need. And verses 8, 9, and 10 walk us through that reality. Verse 8 says that, reminds us that all people are sinners, right? Romans 3.23 says that there is no difference between Jew or Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? That is an all-encompassing statement. Jew and Gentile incorporates all of us. All people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Ephesians 2 reminds us that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are lifeless. We have no hope apart from Christ. So if we're all sinners in need of a Savior, then what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to confess it. In verse 9 says, if we confess our sins to Him, that He will forgive us. You see, God promises to forgive us our sins and act accordingly. That's what it means for Him to be faithful and just. God promises over and over again in Scripture that He will do so. For example, in Jeremiah 31, 34, He says, No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So we confess our sins to the Lord and experience and receive his forgiveness. 
But verse 10 reminds us that refusing his forgiveness or, or not acknowledging the fact that we are sinners in need of a Savior is it's really a slap in God's face. It says that we make him out to be a liar and the truth is not in us. You know, think about it. That's a pretty bold statement. To claim that we are without sin, to claim that we have no need of forgiveness is really to, to slap God in the face and, and, and not acknowledge the importance and our need for Christ's sacrifice for us. And so to confess, to repent, is to acknowledge, I do need to be saved. I do need to be forgiven. Um, and that is what Jesus has done for us. And finally, that brings us to our last point here, that forgiveness is made possible not because of what we've done for ourselves, but because of what Christ has done for us. Verses 1 and 2 of, of John, 1 John chapter 2. He says, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin... You have an advocate, right? Sin is an ugly reality in, in this world and in our own lives. And Jesus wants to free us from its grasp. We're saved from sin. We're not saved to sin. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? You see, the goal of the Christian life, the goal of our, of our existence is to be more like Christ. To not sin, for the trajectory of our life to be towards holiness and away from those things that, that separate us from God. Right? That's our goal. But the reality is that we will still struggle and experience sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no bias there, right? All people sin, and there's no categories. All sin is equally guilty in God's eyes. And so. Because of that, because of that truth that our goal is to not sin, yet we struggle with it each and every day, we have this great promise of an advocate. Jesus is our advocate. He's our helper. He's, he's the one who's going to come alongside us. He's the one who's going to speak on our behalf. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5-6 through six says, There is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself up as a ransom for all people. And in Hebrews 7:25, the author there says, Therefore he, speaking of Jesus, is able to save completely, not partly, not just a little bit, but save us completely, uh, those who come to God through him, because he, is always, he always lives to intercede for them. See, Jesus is the one who stands up and, and, and on our behalf and offers us his righteousness, his forgiveness. He is our advocate. When the enemy tries to, tries to whisper in her ear that we're not good enough, that we're not loved, that, that we've done too much to, earn, to, to possibly qualify for God's forgiveness, it's Jesus who stands up and pleads our case. He's the one that reminds us of our worth and of, of his great love for us because he laid down his life for us. He's our advocate and he's also our atoning sacrifice. See, we need to acknowledge the reality of sin because God has, has righteous anger towards sin, and rightfully so. Sin is a rebellion against God. It's an affront to his character and his holiness. And so in order to forgive our sin and yet remain faithful and just and perfectly holy and righteous, sin must be atoned for. Somebody's got to pay the price for that sin. And an infinite debt requires infinite payment. And we may say, well, our sin's not so bad, right? We come up with excuses that, oh, I, I'm not really that bad. You should see that other guy, right? We come up with all sorts of excuses, try to grade on a scale. But the reality is all of our sin is equally guilty in God's sight and, and is e infinitely guilty in God's sight. Because it's not about the kind of sin that we've committed. It's about who we've sinned against. And God is an infinitely good and perfect and righteous and holy God. And any sin is an affront to his character and therefore... We are infinitely guilty and infinitely in his debt. And so there's no way we could possibly make that payment. Therefore, Jesus paid it on our behalf. The righteous one, the one who had never sinned, who was perfectly obedient to the Father, he laid down his life for us. He paid for our sin with his blood. And so what we see is that the cross is where God's wrath, his love, his justice, his holiness come together and are fully on display. I want to leave you with two verses here that, that sum up, that wrap up God's love and his, and his justice for us. 
First is Isaiah 53, 5 through 6. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus took the punishment that we deserved on his shoulders so that we could be forgiven. And we're reminded here that his grace knows no bounds, knows no limit. There's no sin too great that he can't forgive us. There's no person too lost that they can't be found. We're reminded on our call to worship today that as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. God calls us into fellowship with him, which means turning from our sin and and repenting and turning towards God. But know that it's not because of what you've done. It's about what Christ has done for you. That's the good news of the gospel. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you for this good promise that you've made to us. Help us to live in light of it. Help us to not only know the truth, but to live it in our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In closing, let's stand and sing together. Number 210, Jesus paid it all. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.